this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Anderson's TV and today it is my huge pleasure and honor to have over from the States Mr. Kirk Fletcher. Howdy. So <laughs> what brings you to these fine shores Kirk? Well I'm over here to plug my tour coming up in uh, September and also to meet the fine folks at Anderson's and to talk about how glad I am to be here and not on a plane. <laughs> well, we, we've just had a, a lovely lunch and been chatting yeah. about stuff. And, and you guys know how the, the kind of Captain Meets kind of format goes. I think I think most people, uh, I know a lot of guitarists will be uh, familiar with the name because, you know, last two or three years, certainly you've kind of uh, come up on this sort of rising tide of like a, I wouldn't say like a new wave, but there's been, you know, three or four guys coming out of the States now. And you're one of them who people oh. are sort of going, oh, he's got some licks. Um, so, but, you know, let take us back, you know, how did you first get into guitar and, you know, what was it that flicked that switch? Well, my older brother, Walter Fletcher, is the guy that really flicked that switch for me. Seeing him play in my father's church when I was just a kid was the thing that really set me off on this whole crazy thing we call music. Um, and yeah, just growing up playing in church like so many other musicians, you know, playing in my dad's church and... Like, just being, you know, around the whole everyone join in kind of, mm -hmm. you know, uplifting kind of musical, whatever you can do, tambourines, snare drums, whatever you got, just make some joyful noise with it. So that's really how it started, and that's still one of the most fun things I can think of whenever I think about music in general. Just like gospel kind of roots? Yeah, or... gospel, like 
the you know the whole Church of God in Christ, Holy Roller, Pentecostal, you know, thing where everybody just goes crazy. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and can you can you remember what it you know what your first guitar was and and you know. Well, the first guitar was like this Sears and Roebuck um, acoustic mm. guitar, and it was all messed up. And I think I had like one guitar string on it. And um, I, there's this funny story about me um, putting a hole in it, in it where the the jack goes, I guess, on this acoustic guitar, trying to like make it into an electric <laughs> when I was just a little kid, you know. But my first legit guitar was probably a Squire. Strat, you know, like every kid from the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> I had the Black sure, Spire Strat, sure. you know. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, and I just went from there. Kind and, of. and was there, a, was there a, 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 an artist that you thought to yourself, you know, that's the guy I want to be or, you know, different artists? Well, you know, once again, my brother, my older brother, Walt, he like, he was a... Uh, he listened to everything, and he was just one of these guys that, like, listened to all different kinds of music. So, like, I would go to his house, and he would have all the guitar player magazines and, like, you know, Van Halen Diver down to Jimi Hendrix yeah. to everything. So I didn't have, like, you know, one particular genre or think about it even. I just thought, if it's good guitar playing, I like it. That could be MTV rock videos or, like, gospel music or whatever, you know. Because I'm kind of thinking back to the 80s now and thinking yeah. that was, uh, I don't know, how old are you? I'm 40. Okay, so you're a little bit oh. younger. You're a little bit younger than I am, but we probably learned to play guitar around about the same yeah, time. Yeah. Clearly, you practiced much harder than no. I did. No, you did definitely. <laughs> but I'm thinking that you know, so you're around about that kind of. I guess Stevie Ray would have just oh, been yeah. kind of carving things up then. Yeah. Um, I know for me, my favorite Eric Clapton album, even to date now, mm -hmm. is still the kind of stuff he did in the 80s, like the August and Journeyman kind of Journeyman, stuff, you know. Yeah. And I just remember watching those guys and thinking, oh man, this is just... <laughs> the Journeyman, that's like, man, that was like pretending and all that stuff yeah. and that tone he was getting. You know, everybody always says like, oh, you know, he's got to play a Gibson, he has to play a Gibson, but Journeyman was a pretty massive tone, I thought. Oh. That's my, I have a, uh, it's actually a Squire Strat, but I have it nice. with the with the Clapton yeah. boost in it. And that's, you get that tone, you know, all the boost dialed in, yeah. Fender amp with a little bit of drive on it. Yeah. And you can sit on those kind of notes forever. And that's, it's such a iconic Clapton kind of sound. It just, yeah. it's. Um, and then his singing was incredible, yeah. you know, and I think the, you know, the 60s, we all love him and he became the guitar guy in the 60s. And then the 70s, he was really trying to move more yeah. towards, you know, songwriting and everything and play more of a Fender style guitar for yeah. the rhythm and everything. And then the 80s is like full think, steam yeah, ahead. That, that, do you know, that's interesting because I, I know I was quite disappointed when I first uh, started to, to, to sort of buy some of the Clapton back catalogue. Because mm -hmm. you know, you're completely right. He's, he's like this god in Cream and, mm -hmm. and that kind of uh, vibe. And then the early 70s stuff, it almost is... I don't know if he's finding himself or whether... or Because or, you know, I think he was bad place with drinking drugs yeah. and everything that time but yeah and then the 80s for me he just kind of comes he just smashes it it's just yeah. amazing so so you're you're you've got this um squire strat yeah and you've got this big brother <laughs> who's kind of showing you a few chords yeah showing me so a lot what, what what was the uh, did did walter ever you know was he a successful musician or well in my book he was yeah successful yeah because sure. he's my big brother but um 
Yeah, he played a lot in um, church and then done R&B, and um, he went to Japan, you know, so he was definitely on the circuit oh, and definitely cool. a force to be reckoned with. And just his big tone, you know, and just, you know, using pedals and the whole, you know, just... He was always just one of those guys that was just super hip. Yeah, he know. was uh, cool. Well, so so tell me about then. So you you got this squire thing. You've presumably mm-hmm. gone through school and college and that. And then when did when did college. you start to think to yourself, <laughs> oh, okay, just school, <laughs> whatever? Yeah. When did you when did you when was that moment where you started to think to yourself, this I could actually make a living out of doing this? You know? Well, you know, it's funny because I had already been playing since I was like eight or nine, but to really make a career out of it. That didn't really come until later because I thought I would just get a day job and be a weekend warrior guitar player. But the thing was, um, this music store called Music Works in Redondo Beach, California, mm-hmm. is still there, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, that that meeting people in that music store and hanging out there every day after high school really showed me that you know maybe I can do this. There's all these other people, and then I met Robin Ford through his guitar tech at that time. And just seeing, you know, Robin and the band rehearse and everything, the blue line at that time really showed me, man, maybe I should probably try and pursue this because this is what I love the most. So Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that, I probably would be working at the post office like my dad did. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. There's definitely not anything wrong with that. But um, so so I'm I'm always kind of because I think my life kind of, uh, I didn't start when I was quite as young as you. I probably was 13 or 14 before mm-hmm. I really started to play guitar. But it, the, the the thread that I find consistently when I meet really great guitar players is the dedication that they put in through their probably teenage years to playing. And I, I you know, for anybody that's kind of watching and I know, you know, there'll be a ton of guys who are watching this that are in their 30s and 40s and everything like that. But for the, for the guys who are maybe in their early teens that are watching this, you know what what kind of a level of dedication were you putting into the guitar and how you know how did you how were you just getting you know you, you, every when you sort of say oh when i started hanging with robin ford you know it's like robin ford would not have hung with you if you couldn't play guitar at that age well it's funny you bring that up because actually i wasn't really hanging with robin ford actually when i first met robin ford it was just you know um picking up amplifiers and stringing guitars and stuff like that and helping out his tech. So he really didn't even know I played guitar until like years later and I was that serious about guitar. But that's one of the beautiful things I think is to just be um, humble and not say much, but just try and be a sponge. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if a person thinks they know everything, it's harder for them to learn than a person that I think is just trying to be a sponge. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I tried to take notes, you know, in my brain and think about the sound that he got and the phrasing and the way he played chords. Or just ask him a question, um, what Miles Davis record should I get? What John Coltrane should I get? Why do you like that? Or, yeah. you know, something like that. Or what's a 1-4-5 progression? You know, just that one question yeah. every little time. And that went a long way, you know. I, I must admit that whole, I'm almost embarrassed to say that that I hear, you know, I, I knew what a one four five progression was, but mm-hmm. I didn't know why it was a one four five. Yeah, I and didn't. Then, and I, I, only, I only found out about two months ago why it's even called a one four five. Yeah, I understand. 
<laughs> I totally understand because I definitely didn't know what it was, and I kind of learned that on the bandstand. Yeah, being embarrassed on the bandstand. <laughs> when when the leader shouts out, "This one." Yeah, because when you're playing in church, ah. you're just going for it. You know, in church, you just play whatever you can as fast as you can. Sometimes, uh-huh. but you know. So- So, so let's take you through. Um, I know more recently, you you know you've you've um, done the whole Kirk Fletcher solo kind of thing, mm-hmm. but you you had quite a good break with a, a band called the Thunderbirds, fabulous yeah. Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. So tell us how that happened and and you know what that was like. Well, actually, to make a long story short, or try to, <laughs> there was this guy named Al Blake from the Hollywood Fats Band, who's a legendary guitar player from the California area. I met him, and um, he introduced me to Kim Wilson and Linwood Slim and all of these guys. So it wasn't just like an overnight thing. I kind of, you know, cut my teeth playing with Al Blake, Linwood Slim, Janova Magnus, Charlie Musselwhite, and Kim Wilson in the solo band before the Fabulous Thunderbirds. But, um, yeah, there's that whole club scene thing that went on, and then I joined the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and that was fantastic. And another guitar player that was in that band with me was Nick Curran. Mm-hmm. who's no longer with us but a fantastic guitar player so we both kind of played in that band and we really wanted to try and make the fabulous Thunderbirds kind of like kind of like it was yeah you know when jimmy vaughn was in the band because to me i know nick kern would say the same thing it's like jimmy vaughn is one of the absolute most amazing guitar players ever well, <laughs> do you know what? you're not the, you're not the first that's a that's a nashville thing i think because there's I, again, I certainly know, um, I think the best and the worst thing that could possibly have happened to Jimmy Vaughan was being Stevie's brother. Because mm-hmm. it was like, on the one hand, in, in, inevitably, there will be comparisons. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I kind of, I don't know, for me, Stevie was more my kind of thing than mm-hmm. Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But I guess on the flip side, of course, 
there is an argument that says if he hadn't been Stevie's brother, maybe no one would have, you, know, you wouldn't have, no one would have heard of him anyway. So that's what I mean about like the best and the worst kind yeah. of thing. Um, but you're, it's it surprised me, and I kind of feel like I need to go back and revisit some Jimmy Vaughan stuff because you're about the third or fourth kind of player now who's gone, who, who's cited Jimmy as like you know the man, and I'm just like really it never kind of maybe I've just not seen enough of him. But you know I actually. I know this sounds weird, but sometimes I actually forget that it is Stevie Ray Vaughan's brother. Because <laughs> I'm a big fan. I grew up listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, knew every song, yeah. played along to the records. And I viewed the Fabulous Thunderbirds and Stevie Ray Vaughan so different. Yeah. You know, because to me, Jimmy Vaughan was such a stylist as far as his rhythmic work and supporting and also playing the perfect thing at the right time and getting out. And you go, it almost made me feel like I was, you know, Ingve Malmsteen or something, you know, compared to, you know, somebody like B.B. King. Yeah. I mean, and nothing wrong with Ingve Malmsteen, but for me, I just listen to Jimmy Vine and hear so much taste and yeah. feeling and attitude and the perfect, you know, thing to play at the right well, what time. What would you listen to? Because I, I, I need to get back into this, because I think the only oh, Jimmy yeah. stuff that I've heard Jim, uh, is... Mm-hmm when he's done the guest appearances at the sort of Crossroads festivals mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, just left me feeling, you know, a little bit like, you know, it's okay, but it's not really. But so what, what should I be listening to? Well, should I, I should get some old Fabulous Thunderbirds I think stuff, the Fabulous or? Thunderbirds, the first Fabulous Thunderbirds record and Butt Rockin', the first Fabulous Thunderbirds and then Butt Rockin' and then T-Bird Rhythm, and uh, I know I'm leaving out one. But though the first one, just get the first one. Okay. And I mean, that whole... You know, harmonica, Chicago blues meets the Texas style, whatever they do, that mixture, and then the whole Louisiana style thing. And Jimmy's playing his butt off on that. And um, that that record, and then, um, like, I even like, you know, like the Tough Enough kind of stuff. Okay. And then you get into, like, Strange Pleasure, his uh, first solo record that he done. It's some great tone and some great phrasing and just, you know, attitude on there. Okay. I think it's Well, that's fun. a bit good advice. I'm going to go and definitely go and check that out. Yeah. So, and how's your kind of gear thing kind of going through this time? Were you, you know, were you like a, you always been a Les Paul guy or were you, did you have like a Strat or a Telly sort of vibe? Well, are or? you going to get bad at me? No, no, not at all. Because <laughs> this I, is sort of like a guitar thing and everything, but... Um, of course, I've, I've done different things. I've um, worked with a, um, an Italian artist named Eros from Mazzotti a few years ago. Um, and I had to have the pedal board and the delays synced yep. up and everything a little bit. I still was like a fish out of water, but I tried. Yeah. Um, but I've always, I've had a pedal board here and there, and I've liked pedals and stuff. But over the last few um, years or so, I would guess, I don't know if that's because of traveling or what, but I've kind of really you know, took it to real minimal yeah. stuff like a reverb and some kind of overdrive pedal. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a, that journey I think is, I think most players go through that kind of, you know, you, you learn to play, you know, you buy your first okay sounding amplifier, then you buy a pedal then two, then three pedals. Then you go, I need multi effects pedals. So then you buy multi effect. And then, I yep. don't know. And then, and then I think <laughs> there's a point where some guitarists stay on that journey and mm-hmm. they just have bigger and crazier pedal boards forever mm-hmm. and then other guitarists and i think i'd probably be more like you on that one just go i think i just need to find a good guitar a good amp and 
you know, a nice overdrive pedal. Mm-hmm. And then happy days. And I mean, I'm a LA kid, so I'm not, you know, dissing on pedal boards at all because I got some friends that can make pedal boards do amazing things. And there's no way they could do it without those pedals, yeah. you know, and like the delays and the reverb and the way they blend in different things and the whole stereo wet dry thing and all that that's amazing and i'm a fan of them doing that but for me the guitar is starting to really become well pretty much the whole time is tr i tried to make it a voice yeah you know and just like sing on the note and i'm you know i've gravitated towards a les paul recently because it's the closest thing i can get to like a sustaining like voice like I don't know, Nina Simone or Aretha Franklin or Mavis Staples or somebody like that. You know, or even like B.B. King or something. It just seems like it's a connection. Yeah. Give it, you know. play us a, a little bit of, you know, like, how, how you, um, you know, how you'd approach like a, you know, just, just a straightforward, you know, phrase to play over. A, 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 um, yeah, you know, a couple of nice chords like that and then... sound and and i guess that the the so when you left thunderbirds and, and you mm -hmm. decided you'd go on your own kind of you know solo career we were talking a bit earlier on that you thought right i'm gonna sing and play guitar now uh so uh, what would that i mean that must have been pretty pretty kind of nerve-wracking wasn't Scary. it scary well it took a long time for me because i um mike landau and josh smith my buddy and um a few others always told Paulie Sarah. These guys always tried to get me to sing, you know, and it took a long time because it's just something, you know, new. And you're just like, oh, man, I've been playing my whole life. And now I'm going to try and do something new, take up a different instrument almost, yeah. you know. So it, it was basically out of necessity, just wanting to front my band. And I don't really want to do all instrumental because I like songs, mm -hmm. you know. So I had I was like, for better or for worse, you know. I'm going to try and do it, you know. So it's still a work in progress, but, you know. Well, it, and it's interesting because the, 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 you've got three or four albums, I think, since um, you left the Thunderbirds. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think most people, if they see you, they'll see you doing what I would consider, you know, pretty traditional old school blues, you know, big voice singing, you know, that <laughs> kind of 50s, 60s kind of, just, you know, like you're saying, South, you know, it's a South blues kind of Texas mm -hmm. blues. Mm -hmm. And then you've got one album 
um, my time. My turn. My turn. Yeah. Sorry. My Alice. turn. And uh, and that's just that goes on. A, there's a little bit. It feels to me like there's a bit less singing on that one, and it's mm-hmm. and it's more kind of like let's just get funky and dirty on this guitar. <laughs> Boy, uh, that really sums it up. <laughs> I, I, so so and, and that's it. That's a killer album. So oh, what, thank what, you so much. Where did you um, you know, was that like something you felt you had to just get out your system or? Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I love traditional blues and I really, really, really love Chicago blues and West Coast blues and um, Texas blues. Even like everybody thinks Stevie Ray Vaughan is like, oh, they think of Stevie Ray Vaughan is Texas blues. But I mean, kind of like Kate Mouth Brown and people like that, you mm-hmm. know, a little farther back. And I've always been a guy to go back, yeah. you know, like even if I listen to pop music or country or whatever I listen to, it's always, I want to go back because I've always just been like that ever since a little kid. So what was your question again? It, it was just kind of, you know, we, we, I can see where the, I can see, as you say, almost like the gospel thing, the Chicago mm. thing, everything, you know, as in like, I'm going to stand at the front, I'm going to just play this kind of like rock and roll bluesy kind of mm. stuff. But that, but yeah. So my turn is is um, I, I was just interested because that that's a that was a, that definitely felt and I I thought it showed you as a much more complete guitar player than mm-hmm. you know just just basically you know playing a lot of the, mm-hmm. the sort of the standard kind of you know blues progression stuff mm-hmm. um, and the stuff of course you you know when you've collaborated with with um, Josh and uh, you know and again I think it I don't know it it, it just I guess just you know, it, it, you play differently. You know, you 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 bring yeah. out something different in you. I um, I think that uh, my turn was definitely um, influenced by hanging out with Mike Landau more, and um, Travis Carlton and the guys that helped me um, put that CD together. And yeah, I just wanted to do something fun. Mm. You know, I didn't really think I didn't have a record label or anything. And I just wanted to do something where it was just I could just play and not think about being in any um, one, you know, kind of confining thing. You know, like uh, I have to play like in this style or keep it within this box. But on the other hand, that's a contradiction for me because I love the box. Yeah. I love keeping things in boxes. And if I'm gonna do something different or if I'm gonna do something, I like to just. Maybe write a new song, yeah. and it could be whatever I want because it's my song. Yeah. But if I'm doing "Sweet Home Chicago" or something like that, I like to kind of play closer to, yeah. you know, somebody like Robert Lockwood Jr. or somebody, you know. Um, but that record was, yeah, just like a, just a release, kind of yeah. in a way. And um, yeah, I plan now what the thing is I want to do now is like sort of write songs. And just see whatever comes out. Because I've been so into like ballads lately. Okay. You know, and just putting, you know, a solo inside a great song, you know, mm-hmm. to make the, complete the whole picture now since I'm going to try and sing every song on the record. And yeah, so we'll see. It'll be like my turn, you know, again, but different. The uh, same I, but different I as look, Cheech and Chong says. I look forward to that. <laughs> so look, we're going to just finish up, I think. We should talk about the last... Uh, must be about six months or so. Sure. You've been using uh, blues cubes. Yeah. Which is kind of, uh, you know, I mean, it, 
for guys like you, you know, normally it's a pretty hardcore Valve thing. It's like, you know, if it ain't Valve, then it's... It is. So what's what's the deal there? Well, you know, it's... it's I'm always intrigued by something to see if I can do my Kirk Fletcher thing with something that's new and cutting edge in a way and keep it cool, you know? So I just thought, I saw the Eric Johnson tone capsule and I knew Yoshi, the um, head guy at Roland. Yeah. And I was like, man, these guys are really, really nice, and I really think this is a cool thing. So what can I do? So if Eric got that, could I get, like, you know, my super reverb kind of thing, you know, in the style of, I knew I wasn't going to, I didn't want to try and mimic that super reverb that I play. I mean, that's a whole different thing. But there were things that I wanted to try and achieve with having a really clean, cleaner tone than the super and then having to drive tone where I wouldn't have to use any pedals because yeah. I don't like to use pedals that much you yeah. know I do use a Chula by Love pedal and a um, mm-hmm. Vinurum Jan Ray and a couple other things but uh you know I just wanted to have all in one amp yeah you know and just try and see how far we could get something to sound good and I mean that was the fun experience that was a fun experience yeah. you know yeah well why don't we why don't we just hear because if I if I um Mm-hmm. Let me just see here. If we go with, so this is just your straightforward clean tone. And this has got the ultimate blues tone capsule in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and that and that's the one that you worked with uh, mm-hmm. Boss on that to get that yeah. kind of sound. I mean, I, I don't think. Again, it's one of those things, and I kind of purposely, I know, you know, I wanted to talk about the Blues Cube, but I kind of wanted to leave it right to the end because mm-hmm. I didn't really want everybody through. I just wanted people in the video to hear you playing guitar mm-hmm. and, you know, just listening and not going, oh, is that a tube amp or isn't that a tube amplifier? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just think it's very, very easy to just go, it's just a great sounding amplifier. What is yeah, there? There's, there's mean, nothing wrong with that. That's... Yeah, that's when, when when you dirty it up. Would you mm-hmm. would you typically go kind of like just what little bit of dirt? Or oh like yeah, I, I usually play with not a lot of gain at all. Let's see. Let's see what this sounds like then. wondering as well the uh i don't know if he's patented it or not but but kirk plays his a chord super cool don't you (laughs) you gotta put your little finger on the fifth fret of the top two strings i don't know i think that's from like eric johnson oh is it i know i stole it well i say stole it i don't play it like that very often but paul gilbert was the guy that oh yeah a chord like this paul gilbert man Uh, maybe he stole it from eric johnson or maybe Eric stole it from him. Maybe. Who knows? It's a free chord. There's no copyright on these things. Yeah, I don't know where I got that from. I Later, I saw like country blues guys at my play. But they wouldn't really. That's like, are you experienced or something? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah it's got. <laughs> I do yeah. like. I love the. I love the the D with with the. Um, you know the, the the thumb over the top on the yeah. second fret of the E yeah. string. They're good chords. They're good. You chords. gonna ask me about my last part? I do because <laughs> I mean I. It's so weird for like the second time in a row now. Uh, we're gonna have uh, just talking about Les Paul. So you guys will you will recognise this one. This is my fifty eight that I've had for um, coming up for about eighteen months now. She's a beauty. And uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that uh, <laughs> Kirk is travelling around with a Les Paul that's the price of a small house, but. Um, <laughs> Or a big house, depending on where you live. Totally, <laughs> it could be somewhere in I don't know Montana. Or <laughs> but uh, so, but it, but yeah. So tell us what this is. This is a, um, this is well, it came from the factory as a Gibson Nicky, but it's affectionately been called Hattiebee after my uh, late great aunt, right. Hattiebee from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, because she was a real fiery lady and really a tough. Yeah, lady, and this guitar is tough, and it sings for me, and uh, I love it. And I've grovered it. Yeah, I did grover it, just because I can only fly with one guitar, and I wanted it to be in tune. So it's a, it's the collector's choice, Nikki. Yeah. Which uh, so that can't be that old, then, can it? Because Nikki is what less than a year old. Actually, I got this guitar in uh, August as a part of the. Um, I was on the Joe Bonamassa Three Kings tour, and um, Joe. T kind of him took me that to the Gibson factory in Nashville and I picked this one out and it's been my baby. <laughs> this you have the good friends, don't you? It's like, yeah, just come down I to the Gibson factory. To, I'm really blessed to have some good <laughs> friends and hopefully one day I can pay them back. It's not about paying back though, is it? It's just about, no, what you need to do is the next generation that comes through, you know, they you just need Give to them say to them ball. just say yeah, come with me. I'll get you that I'll get you that guitar from Gibson. And I would totally do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a pretty guitar, this one, isn't it? Oh, so it, it's a, it's a. If you if you're not familiar with Collector's Choice, this would have been um, very, very closely modelled on an original '59 Les Paul. Yeah, it's uh, um, Charlie Charlie Daughtry. Uh, yeah, and he told me I would get to play the real Nicky if I ever came through. What is it, Colorado or something? Oh, cool. or Texas? So you've spoken Ooh, to the you met the, the the guy that owns the yeah, original one of these, and he still has guy. it, does he? He does. Uh, sans the uh, Grovers, I put those on. Yeah. But other than that, it's some bigger frets. It's and you're just using the, the the custom buckets that came in it. You haven't changed I love anything. those. I wouldn't yeah. change those custom buckets for anything. Do you do anything? Because I know, I know on mine that this is this is how it came. And mm -hmm. I noticed that the tailpiece on a lot of these old mm -hmm. um, reissues are screwed right into the body, aren't they? Yeah. On more modern mm -hmm. guitars, you see them slightly raised. Slightly them. Yeah. And then you mm -hmm. see people who wrap around the strings. And, yeah, Joe B does that. Yeah, I'm too mm -hmm. scared to kind of like, I kind of don't want to adjust anything about this. That's I'm how I am. It's I'm like, frightened. Something's yeah. going to change. Yeah, so. and then I won't like it as much. And then I won't be able to put it back to how it was when I liked it. Exactly. Like, so I don't touch anything. Yeah. Um, and you, you just, uh, what are you, like a 10 to 46 guy? Or? Actually, I started with 10s um, on this guitar. And then I moved to 11s maybe in uh, last September. Yeah, last September. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the 11s a lot. Yeah. You know, because I'm a Fender guy. Yeah. Grew up playing Fenders, um, Strats, and Tellies. And um, I love Fender Strats. That's probably my, you know, Desert Island guitar because it's the one I started on. Yeah. But right now, I tell you, 
this Les Paul. I mean, I think that's, you know, you find a great guitar, yeah. you know, that you really like and it speaks to you, and then you go from there. So it could be a great Telecaster, it could be a great Strat, it could be a great Les Paul, but for me right now, this guitar talks. That me. is amen, <laughs> I think, is the uh, word we're looking for there. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I, I, I spend my working life dealing with lots of customers where I mm -hmm. feel like I'm trying to somehow justify how you could possibly ever spend, you know, five, six thousand mm -hmm. pounds. It's probably more than that in dollars, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. on a single guitar. And there is only one way that you just have to go, look, sit, try. Because either it's going to do something for you on a spiritual level mm -hmm. and you're just going to go, okay, I get it. Or it isn't. And you're going to go, that's fine, I'll walk away. Yeah. But it, it, it's just this, and you're completely right, it's not just about Les Pauls, it's it's most guitar brands. Mm. You know, there's when you get up to the, the stuff where the top luthiers, the top, top guys are mm. going, I'm making these guitars. Yeah. You know, they just do stuff, don't they? Yeah. And, that's, and although, let's be honest with you, those old Squire Strats as well, I mean, Great. it's like, if you wanted to, I think we were lucky and our generation was probably the first, maybe the first generation that, that actually could play something okay when we started. Mm -hmm. I, I know like my dad's generation, I don't know about, you know, your dad, mm -hmm. they had some shitty stuff <laughs> to learn to play on in their day, like really bad. It like, was bad. It was so bad. You just think, I don't know how you stuck through this. Yeah. It's like, the um, action was like exactly. a mile. Yeah. So we, we, I guess we were probably the first of the sort of the, the more fortunate. Uh, but that's our era though. I mean, you know, like the whole, you know, you couldn't like shred on a guitar with that. I mean, you know, the designers, I think were catering to people that were going to shred, yeah. you know, so we were sure. lucky. Well, we were. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank Tell you us so your much. tour is in September. Yeah. Where can where can people find details of seeing On you? On my website, kirkfletcherband.com. Dudley Ross is the cat in charge. And yeah. Cool, man. He's the guy. All right. Well, look, go check that out. I'll put a link in the description section below. Thank you so much for having me. No, man. It's been, really a, it's been a super it. pleasure. Super pleasure. And good luck with everything. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. See you later, guys.
should be had. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time. <laughs>